As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, Meg here, and you're listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan, a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. We are back to Olympics mode. Steph Young is here to relive a wild day of Olympic order finals. The U.S. women's national team advancing over the Netherlands via penalty kicks. Australia, Sweden, and Canada, the other three teams to advance. Plus, we've got the latest from the players' appeal for equal pay Amicus briefs were filed today with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, including ones from the Players Association for the Men's National Team and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which literally happened right as we were recording the show. So here's Steph. We will just get right into it. We we just went for it today. Here we go. All right, Steph. We ha- I have zero notes for this podcast. We are in full... <laughs> 4 a.m. wake up. Everything is happening all at the same time. Four quarterfinals plus amicus briefs dropping in the equal pay lawsuit appeal part of it. Plus the NWSL just announced that they settled their antitrust lawsuit with Olivia Moultrie. Like everything is happening. We are just going to attempt to maybe get some words out that make sense and then put them on the internet. And then we go back to other additional work. Right. It's a classic Friday news dump. I guess the only saving grace is that this didn't happen at 8 p.m. Although it kind of feels like 8 p.m. We've been awake for a while. You are real close to the camera. Your eyes are real bright. <laughs> and if I I really don't believe you haven't had any caffeine yet. I did. I finally made, I made coffee during halftime of the U.S. Women's National Team game. I was like running around the house to try to make coffee. I got my final package of Pop-Tarts from the box of Pop-Tarts I've been surviving off of during game days. So I did finally, I have my peacock sent me a, a nice mug. That is what I'm currently drinking my coffee out of. So oh, I'm having a Diet Coke. And <laughs> I was, the plan was there's an hour gap between the end of Brazil, Canada and USA, Netherlands. If the game doesn't go to penalties. It did. I couldn't leave the desk to go get breakfast or make it. It was just right from one game to the other. I'm rummaging around. What do I find? 
But this Megan Rapino, like half eaten cliff yeah, bar. Yeah, okay, when you tweeted that though, I was very concerned for you. <laughs> You're just. That's the state I'm in during the Olympics. <laughs> I'm just finding half eaten food buried under napkins and papers and post it notes. All right, let's, let's start with. We can go chronologically today. <laughs> Let's start with Canada, Brazil. Obviously, the two of us are on different sides of this result. I have a lot of emotions. I had zero time to process these emotions because, again, so many overlapping games. We, I mean, maybe we can save our complaints about the Olympic schedule. Again, I feel like there have been a lot of complaints about this Olympic schedule. But today, in particular, there's so much discussion about how this tournament can potentially grow the game, right? This is like arguably a bigger commercial opportunity for players compared to the World Cup. Like I think there are pros and cons to both, but the Olympics obviously have a slightly different platform just in that everyone is watching. And yeah, to have three of the four games on at the same time and almost all four happening at the same time feels really stupid. I... I felt it made me feel stupid (laughs) just for trying to, like, why do I watch this sport? Why do I do this to myself? When I was dragging myself awake at 3.30, I was like, other people aren't doing this. You know? Yeah. Um, Canada, Brazil, yeah, I thought that, I said it a couple times today, but there's exciting zero zeros and there's boring zero zeros. And I think that this trended more towards the exciting end of the spectrum. Yes. And then just in terms of going through extra time, right? I I do want to talk about this penalty kick shootout because a lot of things happen. Even like the penalty kick shootout alone is probably worth like an entire 30 for 30 just in terms of things that happened <laughs> that we didn't necessarily expect. But it started with Christine Sinclair not converting her penalty, which is not what you expect. No. From Christine Sinclair. It was shocking and I can't be certain cuz I didn't get a they didn't get a good shot of it, but I think she literally ripped open the front of her jersey in sheer frustration. Have you ever tried to rip a Nike jersey like with your bare hands? No. I can't the, say I have. <laughs> the strength of her rage must have just been such that she like either like she I think she grabbed it at the very least. It looked pretty rumpled, but I could swear she like literally tore open the collar just with the strength of her frustration at herself, which is understandable. She holds herself to high standard. I was shell-shocked. I was like, that's it for Canada, right? She's the leader. She sets the tone. She's your first penalty taker. And then Steph LeBay was just like, as it turns out, injuring my ribs just makes me stronger. Yeah. Yeah. I Her performance today, obviously the penalty kick shootout gets a lot of attention, and rightfully so. I mean, saving... the the final two attempts from Brazil to send Canada through. Like today was really, in a a number of ways, a day of goalkeeping (laughs) excellence, right? Especially the first game and the last game is just kind of a tale of two goalkeepers, and now also they get to meet in the next match. But yeah, it was just Sink stepping up and not converting. Marta immediately being the first kick for Brazil. I think you could see, I mean, at one point she was like grabbing, uh, like, I think Erica's face and like just holding on to her face after another penalty kick was converted. There's a lot of emotion on both sides. And so Canada advances, Brazil falls again. And unfortunately, just the way that this tournament was set up, that means that is 
in the legend versus legend matchup that we got today. That is the end of Marta's tournament, and and I would assume the end of major international tournaments for her as well. And same for Formiga. Formiga said she's retiring after this tournament. Yeah. They announced it on the broadcast. Um, yeah, so that's it. And it just brings, it evokes that tearful speech Marta gave, what was it, after the World Cup, where she's like, there won't always be a Marta. There won't always be a Formiga or a Cristiane. And she did the same thing. In the, the post-game, um, Tamita's like, said that Marta and there's I think footage of Marta like tearfully trying to you know be a leader for the team she's telling them Mm -hmm. um it was about the future she was like there's younger players coming up now and she's like invest in the future with your invest in the team don't lose sight of positive results in the future even though I was rooting for Canada I saw that and I was like (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know it was a lot it was a lot all right in the next game, I think chronologically, Team GB versus Australia. First of all, I don't know if we've heard from Anno Dong, our mutual friend yet, <laughs> following that game. Hopefully she is still alive. <laughs> I would assume she is. But talk about another sort of wild back and forth affair just in terms like chaos was happening. This, this one had morning. a penalty save as well. Yeah. Micah. Which is a, a name that's very suited to saying in like an Australian accent, like Tegan Micah. <laughs> that's a terrible Australian <laughs> accent, but let's just pretend like it was good. You got the point. Tegan Micah made a save in this one as well. And then Mary Fowler and Sam Kerr like were off the chain. Mary Fowler is a kid that we should all be watching. I think she's freshly 18 years old um, and now kept tied to Australia. So congrats to the Matildas for yet another teen phenom. Yeah. Just the the endless cycle of Australia's national team. <laughs> what small child can we put in here? Nailed it. Yeah, just ending 4-3. I mean, Ellen White, again, ending with a hat trick on the day. But that, that final goal, obviously Mary Fowler's goal was incredible, but getting the dagger from Sam Kerr to make it 4-2 and providing... Inevitably, what what was the the game winning goal? But I mean, that one was really coming down to the wire in many ways, and yeah, I mean, just honestly, a great and terrible game to watch as a neutral, like one where you are stressed for everyone. Even though <laughs> I was just like, whoever's winning this also is going up against Sweden, and I don't feel great for whoever advances. But in the meantime, like. I don't. I think we were so worried about Australia's chances coming into this tournament, and then to see that performance from them today. Australia's, it's the magic of knockout rounds. Yeah, they're also building. I feel like Australia is building through this tournament, which is what you want. And the United States is kind of building, kind of not. I, I feel like it's like those loops you see of someone who's putting down bricks, but on the other side, someone else is like taking picking up the bricks you know so like mm-hmm. i don't know well i will get there we'll get there yeah. yeah all right next game sweden versus japan i think probably everyone knew how this one was gonna end <laughs> right won't, won't. but yeah initially for a hot second for a, a hot hot second i thought japan might try to hang in there because they did get a goal back from mm-hmm. mina tanaka um, but it wasn't enough. You know, Sweden quality showed out over the length of the game. Sweden's 
I don't, I don't want to say they're cruising, but they're having the tournament that I think U.S. fans wish the United States was having. They're just consistent, right? Yeah. Like, there's really, there's no dips. There's just pure consistency of we are going to step in. We are going to win every game mm-hmm. by multiple goals. <laughs> we are going to have a consistent high press, too, but also be able to use other systems to our advantage, right? Mm-hmm. But the high press is going to get used when it makes sense. Um, yeah, I think that's perfect, is that Sweden is having the tournament every U.S. Women's National Team fan wishes that they were having. So, But I do think it's important that Sina Blackstenius is back for Sweden. I think that there were, you know, obviously that that uh, injury that she came out of the match with in Australia um, was concerning. I think it was one where, like, oh, you get the rotation in, you get her some time off, she's going to be fine. But still, I think that there were... You know, you want arguably one of your best goal scorers to actually be able to play for the team in order for it to mean something. So, and in fact, she did score. So, yes, (laughs) (laughs) she was just like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. Hello. Welcome back. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's tackle uh, USA and the Netherlands. Do we have to? <laughs> we do have to. That is kind of what we're paid to do. Uh, yeah. There was a hot second in this game. I really thought it was going to end United States 5, Netherlands 1, right? It, I felt a little vindicated. It played out. You and I have spoken multiple times about how you look at the Netherlands. Okay, they scored bonanza goals. But they also mm-hmm. got scored on like the most out of anybody else in their group, I think, uh, or most out of anybody else who's going to quarterfinals. The other quarterfinal teams, they got scored on like eight times in three mm-hmm. games in group. Yep. And so clearly the the weaknesses are there. And during that little stretch when Sam Mua scored and then Lynn Williams scored, I was like, okay, they're fine. <laughs> they're back to normal. Ooh, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Then, then things changed. I, I do want to talk about the Lynn Williams substitution because it really did feel like that was an inflection point in this match. Also, I think the immediate reaction I saw was like, why we're taking out Lynn Williams <laughs> mm-hmm. right now. Uh, Tobin Heath seems the more clear candidate. So that way you have both Kristen Press and Lynn Williams on the field at the same time. That feels like a pretty ideal situation mm-hmm. for the U.S. Women's National Team at this point. Mm-hmm. I feel like it only continued the questions that are being raised about game management right now. Mm-hmm. And it is not the substitution pattern that I expected. I mean, we saw Roosevelt doesn't start, right? There's a lot of talk about like who has fresh legs, who who doesn't, but arguably 
on this team right now, Lynn Williams has some of the quote-unquote freshest legs available. So there was a quote from Blacko after the game that I thought was a little bit like, oh, I don't know how much credit I give that, Blacko. But he said, um, the players that came in, I'm sure you noticed, but those were the four players that actually took the penalty kicks and scored. So that was also part of the plan, because I didn't know if they started the game, if they were going to be able to play 120 minutes, implying... He saw this as like a possibility that they were going to get taken all the way to penalties and therefore he wanted to hold out the penalty takers so that they would have fresh legs during the penalties. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe that's not quite what he meant to say. It's the implication that I'm deriving from it. But I was like, that can't possibly why be like the totality of why. Yeah, I don't know if it's the totality, but also I think after having watched Euros... I at least prefer this method of substitution for if you're playing the long game of do I have to sub in players that I want to take penalty kicks, right? Because there's no question that you want Megan Rapino as one yeah. of your five, right? Like there's zero question about who <laughs> some of these preferred <laughs> penalty kick takers are. Morgan is always going to be in that rotation, but also like just a detour for a second, Morgan and Press getting redemption for penalty kick taking. I was intensely nervous during those two kicks and they no no sweat. So amazing. All right, back in. Um, but yeah, you want players on the field, right? But then I think that there was also some concern of they still have to play extra time though. Like could the could some of these subs have been made slightly later in the game, but not necessarily directly before a penalty kick because we have seen very recently how that is not necessarily an ideal strategy. Um but yeah, Lynn, I, I just thought, like, I think we have all been calling out for Lynn Williams in so many <laughs> different ways this tournament. And then to finally get it and to also not just have her score a goal, which after you watch that goal back, it's like even more impressive than it was live. But her, she was creating chance after chance, gets the assist on Sam Mewis's goal, right? Like, she wasn't, I feel like, we have so much discourse around Lynn Williams and her finishing, but she does so many other things for this team. And this has always been the argument about Lynn Williams is what she contributes, but she does create chances. And she was finding a lot of success on the wing, which has been one of the real struggles for the U S women's national team in this tournament. So to bring her out that early into the match was really just kind of like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Lynn and, um, another absence from this roster, Tierna Davidson, have me wondering what's going on with like the long-term plan. It feels like they're sticking to some kind of plan that obviously we're not privy to. And maybe they're being too rigid about it instead of being willing to flex and go with like who's actually hot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't able to confirm if Tierna Davidson's injured or something, like why she didn't dress. I don't know why she wasn't an option. Uh other than injury, like if you leaving her off of the substitute list, because if you look at Abby Dahlkemper, I think she had another shocker today. And, you know, so, and Tierna Davidson, the last game that she played, looked pretty good. Yeah. You know, I'll, I just have this image stuck in my head from the game of Abby Dahlkemper. She's gotten beaten by someone. I think it's Shanice Vanderstanden, but I'm not sure. And she's just ineffectually pawing at her. She's like, frantically trying to get back and then this other part where she just kind of looks lost on the field like the center back version of the twisties 
Where she just well, like yeah, in all seriousness, yeah. where she doesn't know where she is in relation to anybody else on the field or to the ball, like the equivalent of like kind of being lost spatially. Yep. On the field, so I'm like, okay, if Tierna's playing great, if Lynn just gave you that performance, do you adjust? Like Vlaco talks about adjusting, right, in order to re- react to opponents and kind of react to the loss to Sweden. So is that an adjustment you also make? Where like these are the players that are hot right now, mm-hmm. and maybe I should kind of like try to maximize getting the most out of them. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting because we have seen in previous major tournaments, I know there's been a lot of comparison to this tournament, to the 2015 World Cup, because that was another kind of underwhelming group stage for the U.S. And what's interesting to me there is that Jill Ellis's hand got forced in terms of some of these <laughs> roster decisions, right, by yellow cards. And thus we got different outcomes, I think partially because of it. Whereas here, there's not necessarily that external force that is forcing you to say like, oh, okay, I need to make a change. But also we are seeing like Roosevelt getting rotated out in order to preserve like load management, especially for a player like Rose. I'm actually kind of like, okay, it's stressful, but I think you can sell me on it. (laughs) (laughs) But for... The Davidson versus Dahlkemper thing right now, there's nothing forcing his hand beyond performance. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think it is really interesting of we've had a few very, again, like I think we keep using the word uncharacteristic, but they have all been very consistently uncharacteristic performances from Dahlkemper. Whereas you do give Davidson the opportunity, she performs to a certain level. Right. At what point does consistently uncharacteristic turn it into characteristic of you? Because if she's consistently bad, like how many games does it take to be like, oh, she's just bad. She's not uncharacteristically bad. She is just bad right now. And I just think today, my first read of when I saw the starting 11 was, okay, what, so what I think is happening, and again, like we are, we are reading into things, but I think at some point you do have to have a trust in your player to get through the mental aspect of like, if you have had bad performances, you have to give them a chance to prove themselves and like play through it because that is kind of the only path through. But now obviously there is a much greater weight to that decision of belief Mm -hmm. and an opportunity to play through the performances that are happening. And then that doesn't happen. I mean, we can talk about it in the context of whether it's a liability against Canada, if you want. Unless we want to keep... I I like. I still feel kind of dead inside. Because <laughs> so much happened this morning. We haven't like, really even talked about a listener yet. <laughs> I know. Oh, we still have to talk about a listener. That's how, like, so much happened. I woke up at 3.30 in the morning. We're recording this about 12 p.m. Have not had a second to process a single one. Just jumped from game to game and then post-game to post-game. And then here we are, you know, just... Yeah. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... mm, 
real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's talk about Alyssa Nea for a minute. I know you're you're working on a... I, I'm on legal duty. You're on a listener duty. <laughs> One of those sounds way more pleasant than it's the true. other. It's true. It's true. Even with a listener's, like, you know, infamous, in, <laughs> just like, just doesn't give you anything in a mix zone. Occasionally she'll give you one, like a little tidbit here or there where you're like, you have hidden depths, but you're not willing <laughs> to share them with us. And I'm not going to push you because you have a right to your privacy. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's like the internal process that I go through. Things um, we know about Alyssa Nair. She's right. good at repairs. She loves a crossword. And she does not want to talk about herself. <laughs> she loves all. the Patriots. Everybody has flaws. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even care about NFL, but I, I am like, oh, well, you know. You, she's a New Englander. It's, it's yeah. unfortunate, you know. Yeah. Just in terms of a listener though so first of all they give up what is a pretty dumb penalty <laughs> right okay oh, um yeah kelly and, and abby Dahlkemper just kind of colliding in the box um but you know i think there have been some legitimate doubts just in terms of like a listener's form in nwsl right but i also think that now we have seen a listener in major tournaments and when the pressure is at its highest Alyssa Nair has come up yeah I mean even within the game against the Netherlands she made some mistakes there are some I have a line in my notes that's literally just like what are you doing what are you doing what are you doing like what was that I think it was the 94th minute so extra time um Mm -hmm. that thing where she's like she leapt up to kind of try to oh yeah tap yeah the ball over the like, bar and then it yeah. dropped in that we got saved by the offside call i was like what is happening and then you know one of the other traditional complaints is sometimes listener doesn't have the greatest judgment of like when to come out and when to stay and how to position herself and how, when to attack the ball um and then in penalty she kills it 
And I'm not that surprised. <laughs> I'm not that surprised. The same thing happened in 2019. And I wrote about it then too. We're in the mix zone. Everyone's like asking Alyssa's teammates, are you surprised by this? And they're like, first of all, what are they supposed to say? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we actually doubted her entirely. And thank God she actually, like, of course. Right. Even right. even if they did internally, it's it's a praise in public, punish in private situation. Anyway, yeah, and they were like, no, I know Alyssa, and I knew that that was going to happen. Same thing two years later. I know Alyssa, and I knew that she was going to come up big for us in that moment. Alyssa Nair, like, she for someone who does make those mistakes, I think it's a key part of her personality as the goalkeeper that she can just kind of move on. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a true skill for goalkeepers just because every every like time where they are important is such a <laughs> pressure situation that yeah it is if you if you mess up in a game like and I think that we've seen that from her too even you know in the 2019 World Cup like a mistake gets made but then she is immediately able to just put it behind her and move on right and then the next the next decision is perfect so if you dwell on something in this game for even 30 seconds, you might miss the next opportunity. So, yeah. All right. So we do have our semifinal set and <laughs> it just, it makes perfect sense that it is USA Canada <laughs> in so many ways. It really does make perfect sense. And obviously... I'm sure we're going to get some fun retrospectives of 2012 just bubbling back up. But this is also another team that the U.S. Women's National Team has played fairly recently in the run-up to this Olympic tournament. It was not a comfortable performance from the U.S. Women's National Team by any stretch. But how are you How are you feeling? Early, early reactions to USA-Canada. So first I have a question, which is, I think if you accumulate two yellow cards, you're out for the yes. next game. Yes. And it's not being erased between quarters and semis. Um, I think that's true. And I think Jade Riviere got her second yellow of the tournament in this game against Brazil. That means Canada just got one of their best fullback options taken out. They also play... Uh, mostly that I've seen a uh, 4-4-2 diamond, which, you know, can be susceptible to narrow play. And against the United States, you saw some of the times when they were successful against Netherlands is when they were able to go direct, direct on the flank and then look for the cross. And I think they're looking at a tired Canada, first of all, like Alicia Chapman, tired, Ashley Lawrence, also tired. And they're thinking okay, if Canada's narrow in midfield and we have, you know, fresher legs and we have the better flank play, you know, maybe we can pump some balls in there. I don't think they got a ton of successful crosses against Netherlands and, you know, came back to, to bite us. Maybe against Canada, they'll have more. But on the other hand, Canada, as we saw against Brazil, they were able to collapse defensively more or less in an organized way. And even if there was some last-ditch defending, it didn't look panicky. Mm -hmm. So... Mm. <laughs> I don't want to think about 2012. That game still yeah, stresses it, me it out. It doesn't... I mean, it has truly no 
real yeah. impact. It's just, you know, I mean, this was kind of the question I asked of Kristen Press in the the pregame Zoom availability of just, and this was something that you brought up on the lead. Now, every single team that you're going to face for the rest of this tournament, there is a historical match that people are going to talk about, whether it's 2019 World Cup final, now it's 2012 Olympic semifinal, right? And then whoever we face in the final, Australia maybe doesn't quite have that sort of real rivalry match that we can reference, but if it's Sweden again, huge narrative there. So (laughs) we're now kind of bouncing from team to team where there is kind of this historical reference point there there is real familiarity with every single opponent that is left and i think it just adds something but it also makes it for a very interesting kind of narrative framing in how we are discussing this and also we as we all know canada is never going to let go of the 2012 (laughs) olympic semifinal so i yeah that game even mentioning 2012 Olympic semifinals still stresses me to this day. <laughs> um, so I really hope that this game is a lot more clear cut than 2012. It's also two really different teams. Yes. Um, if I'm talking just on the Canadian side, they've actually done a pretty good job of phasing out that 2012 era, like Diana Matheson, Carmelina Moscato, Rian Wilkinson, Melissa Tancredi. <laughs> Um, and now they have a lot of younger players who are maybe grew up more with soccer, more technical. Obviously, Jesse Fleming, Jordan Heidema, Jade Riviere is one I mentioned, although she's probably unavailable. You know, um, Nichelle Prince, Deanne Rose, like all these good kids mm-hmm. who could be important in this upcoming game. Yeah. And we get to wake up at 4 a.m. East Coast time for this one, so. I lost another day. I know today's Friday, but I didn't know that today is Friday. Yeah, I just really only knew it was a game day. I kept thinking it was Saturday, and then I realized, no, no, it's still Friday. So. No, I thought today was Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> All right, well, that that really bodes well. Um, before we wrap up, just very quickly, since there was also the legal update, which happened today, and first, I do want to just very clearly spell out for people that so amicus briefs were filed in the appeal for the u.s women's national team players lawsuit which are basically supporting briefs from outside organizations the big one that everyone is really going to care about today came from the players association for the men's national team but first of all i want to point out this did drop during the game which was not ideal especially for me personally but the the amicus briefs were always due today because the court sets the date. So when the opening brief is filed in this appeal, then amicus briefs are due seven days late, like a full week later. And just the timing of filing was not necessarily ideal, but there was also no real intention. Like it was not supposed to be like, oh, this game is happening and we want to have the briefs like waiting for people because that's not how... <laughs> As far as I know, that was not the plan. It was just, this is a court-mandated thing, and it just happened to work out in the worst possible fashion. But, Steph, I know that you have read the men's national team brief, but the the big arguments in that really are, well, first of all, they directly call out one nation, one team in like the first opening paragraph of their thing, but they say the 
U.S. Soccer Federation has mistreated the women's national team players now for 30 years. They give a little history lesson, and then they say, you know, the 2017 collective bargaining agreement for the women was negotiated kind of off the back of our 2011 CBA, which was negotiated in the middle of an economic downturn. So not only should the women get equal pay, they should actually get paid more. And their argument is the women should actually get paid triple what the men had gotten. And this is really the, we have gotten some support from the men's national team on behalf of the women's national team previously, but this is the strongest statements that have happened. What, what stood out to you? From that brief. Well, first of all, I was like the Gordon Ramsay meme where it's like delicious. Finally, some good fucking worker solidarity. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that I felt while I was reading through it the whole time, I was like, this screams to me they understand that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. They all get a stronger bargaining position from supporting the women's national team. Um and I thought it was a really pretty good methodical breakdown, uh, the financial analysis as well, where they basically called out the previous judge trying to calculate things by like total money divided by total games, but not weighing games essentially by like level of difficulty, where it's like, yeah, of course our friendly against whomstever is not the same as a World Cup final or an Olympic gold medal match. You can't equate the two things directly and, you know, all sorts of all sorts of little details. I thought it was a good brief and in general i really like that this may usher in a newer era of labor relations between players and u.s soccer and maybe this may take us off of the cycle where the men negotiate the cba then the women then the men and the women and then maybe there'll be more cross-channel yeah i do think so there are real pros and cons to the men negotiating independently from the women, right? Because what happens is they want to kind of piggyback off of the, again, like you're right for what's good for the goose is good for the gander. But there's also, I think, some self-interest on behalf of the men's national team, because they're going to look at what the women's national team gets in their next agreement and say, oh, yes, okay, well, we want all of that plus more. And then their intent is then the women get to look at that agreement a couple years later and say, we want all of that and more. And so they oh, yeah. get to consistently put pressure on U.S. soccer with this alternating bargaining where conditions and salaries and everything are always constantly being improved. There is also, though, I think some real power to one of the big takeaways for me from all of these briefs is that um, all of these arguments about collective bargaining does not necessarily excuse um pay discrimination, right? Right. So one of the things is that there is this kind of like historical context and that there is power from the men's national team that the women's national team don't have because they've always been kind of in a different position for their bargaining. So if they bargain together, the men could potentially erase that difference. So there are pros and cons for both sides, but I do fundamentally understand kind of the appeal of leapfrogging each other every few years to negotiate with U.S. soccer, but. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you there, but I, I really hope that this is a signal that between the two teams, um, I always thought that kind of the narrative 
that got pushed either from the players, from the fans, like the women are way better than the men and deserve way more than them. I always thought that was kind of damaging because in the end, we should be looking for labor solidarity. Like U.S. soccer probably loved the men and the women being pitted against each other because that's a typical... Sorry to get, you know, put on like the, the labor the union had here, but that's a typical distraction tactic. You get the laborers fighting against themselves. They don't see that all the problems come from management. So I'm hoping this is a, a new era for true, like, one nation, one team. I guess we will see. Um, there's definitely <laughs> U.S. soccer got their answering brief pushback to September, so we are going to probably have a little bit of a break from this, but I am very curious to see, obviously so much of this overall fight has been fought in the court of public opinion and having this men's national team brief out there. Also, I am just being texted right now that the EEOC, the EEOC itself has filed a brief in support of the U.S. women's national team. That is huge as well. They they do file amicus briefs, but it is not necessarily a very common occurrence. So the fact that where this actual lawsuit started in 2016 <laughs> with an EEOC complaint, the fact that that body is now actually filing a brief in support of the players five years later is also something very, very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'm going to now immediately sign off from this podcast and go read this EEOC amicus brief because that is also huge news. But Steph, thank you again for for coming on the podcast. And we have most of the way survived another day. Yeah, still got still got some stuff to spool up, but the, the immediacy is over. I mean, the hardest part for me was actually dragging my ass out of bed at 3.30 when I was like, mm, I could just get fired and go back to sleep. <laughs> Please don't do that because I, I, I would not be pleased. I was that tired, but yeah. I was ready to risk it all <laughs> for eight hours. All right, that's it for now. We will see you on Twitter. All right, thank you again to Steph for her time. Please keep an eye out on The Athletic. We're going to have a lot of coverage on the way today. Obviously, we've already got some headlines up on both the amicus briefs and today's game for the U.S. Women's National Team, but we're just, we're just, we're going today. <laughs> everything is happening. All right, you can follow all of our Olympic coverage and everything else at The Athletic. You can support our women's soccer coverage by subscribing at theathletic.com slash full-time. Full-time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. I'm Meg. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you before the semifinals on Monday, get ready for that 4 a.m. wake-up time. I know you can do it. I believe in you. I believe in all of us. Bye.